This podcast contains sensitive topics such as murder, violence, and sexual abuse. Happy Thursday, everyone. Happy um, Thursday. This this episode's going to be a little bit bittersweet. I'm both excited about it and dreading it at the same time. Um, we're finally getting into the politics of, of the case. And I'm excited because I think it's, like, crucial that everyone understands, like, why this case was never solved. But I also dread it because it upsets me to my deepest, deepest, deepest core. Yeah, I didn't really know to what extent this case was just um, impossible to solve from the beginning, not because of, you know, the lack of concrete evidence or the um, improper police procedure, but, but actually because of all of the circumvention going on on behalf of, you know, the DA, the Ramsey lawyers, etc. Yeah, it, it's really wild. And before we, we dive into it, there's a few it's things. It's diabolical. Sorry. No. That's no. like a very specific word, though. It is wild, but it's literally diabolical. I paused because I thought the face that you made was funny. Not that I didn't agree. Like, yes, it's a thousand percent diabolical. But and I wish people could see Lindsay when we do these podcasts, because a lot of times I'm either speechless or cracking up because of the faces she made. But like, essentially, she just said diabolical with like the widest eyes and the widest mouth. Just diabolical. That's <laughs> that's what it looked like. Okay, I'm well, gonna put a video, uh, like a GIF of of you saying that on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, but make a T-shirt with my face like that. Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned T-shirts because before we get started, I wanted to talk T-shirts and hats. So we have an exciting thing that we want to do. We've been receiving, you know, a lot of a lot more messages lately about our podcast and what people think season two should be. Death threats. And so, no, you have not received a single death threat that wasn't from me. <laughs> um, out of our gratitude and excitement, we're going to be offering free T-shirts and free hats to listeners. In order to qualify for these free complimentary listener items, all you have to do is message us with what your suggestion is for season two of Listen Carefully. Which case should we cover next? Send in your suggestion, and we're going to do a drawing. We're going to write down everybody's names or usernames if you're on Instagram and pull out of a hat and announce it on our Facebook and Instagram page. And if your name comes up, you can just send us your details. If you don't want us to know where you live, send us our, your PO box. That's pretty much it. Yeah, and for those who have already sent in their, your suggestions, we're automatically going to throw your names into this hat. And throw your name in twice. Up. Right, oh, yeah, it'd be kind of fucked up if we were like, anyone who did it beforehand, You don't off. count. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, that's not how we roll. Yeah, we roll we'll downhill like a snowball out of control. What does that what does that mean? What rolling downhill like a snowball out of control? Yeah, like I don't know. Like that's how we roll? Like what anyways? Um yeah, so keep a lookout for that. We should be getting the merchandise this weekend. We'll post on Facebook and Instagram what it looks like. It's pretty cool. It has our faces on it. 
Um, I'm really excited about the hat situation. So yeah. Just- yeah, I literally made a hat because Sam texted me like five days in a row, like, we need a hat. We need a hat. So finally I'm I designed a hat. I don't wear hats at all because I'm not like trying to hide the fact that I'm balding. Um, I'm also not a certified gangster, so I don't wear hats, but I will wear a t-shirt here and there. I, I don't even really wear t-shirts, but I'm keeping one fucking t-shirt for myself. You I do wear clothing. <laughs> I do, but I don't wear like tees, like a tee. Like, I don't do that. Um, Let the record show, though, that I am in no way balding. I have very, very, very thick, dark hair. Um, I just want to make sure that, that people knew that and didn't assume I was balding because of your comment. So, okay. Well, I'm also not balding, <sighs> but I, I honestly, I really feel for people that are balding, especially women. That fucking sucks. And it's like, it wouldn't suck so bad if people weren't so shitty about it. It's like, <gasps> you're losing your hair. Well, that means you're losing your humanity. It's like, no, it's no, it's really shouldn't be that big of a deal at all. It's just fucking hair. Yeah. Well, moving on. <laughs> yeah, moving on from that. Um, I also just want to say like a big thank you to everyone who's been messaging us. We like love your support. Makes my we, day every time. It literally like made my day today. Like I was having a shit day, and Lindsay had messaged me like screenshots of of your messages, and it really like cheered me up. And and my eloquent, detailed replies that are one hundred percent correct. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. <laughs> what? There was a claim. And I don't think the person messaging you was trying to say that you were funnier than me. I think that they were just saying, like, oh, Sam, like, the sexy one and is the intelligent one. Like, I guess Lindsay's funny, though. I think that's kind of more of how it read. And not, you are violently paraphrasing. Like, well, I, like, I, I know that they called you funny, but it kind of seemed like it was, like, they had to give you something, you know? Well, you never know who you're messaging. You, they could be messaging you. They could be messaging me. Are you messaging our assistant, Larry? <laughs> Larry loves those messages. I know. I love when Larry forwards us a message and uh, sp- spends all balding. day editing. <laughs> Why do you have to call him out? <laughs> I know. Sorry, okay. Larry. I'll let the record show that there is no one else in the room with them. There is no Larry. We're also not in the same room. <laughs> I know, but... I don't think people know that because I always wonder with, like covid and everything like we're like breathing in a closet together or something like <laughs> <laughs> so you can record we're actually we don't even live in the same state no we do not I well we both live in the state of chaos though oh that we're currently in okay we should really talk about the case this has been like 20 minutes of, like... A... okay but I, okay like kudos on, on that one the state of chaos I, i'm really liking i also really want a hat that says buddy i think you're better than me but no, I was trying to come up with a good design involving that, but it's just been slow. So if anyone listening has an idea, you know, feel free, like balls to the walls, you know what I'm saying? But I can't, <laughs> I can't think of an idea for that one. Okay, let's talk the John Bonet Ramsey case. You know, the reason that y'all are all listening. Um, I'm sure people by now just hit the like 30 second forward <laughs> on the podcast until they hear us be like, all right, and the case, but we say it like eight times. Before. I know, it's no good. It's no good. So <laughs> we're dedicating this whole episode to politics and some uh, media portrayal of various participants in, I should say, involuntary participants <sighs> of this case. So yeah. I think it's really important for people to understand 
how much the investigation was impeded um, because, and we say politics is kind of like this overreaching general term, but what we mean is, um, you know, doing favors, saving face, things like this that seem to mostly come from the DA's office, allegedly. Yeah, like we've talked about before, so there's kind of the three camps that we're going to be talking about are Team Ramsey, which are the Ramsey lawyers and PIs and, and PR people. The police department, which is this investigation, was pretty much being led by Steve Thomas. I'm sure you've heard us mention him. He was the detective on the case. And then the third camp is the district attorney's office, who was Alex Hunter. And basically, these three entities have a long history throughout this case of just going at each other and not being able to get like move forward in the investigation it's just so sad and it's just you know i don't know if that's a sign of weak leadership or what but you should i mean you should really be able to work together it's not like a school project in high school this is fucking the law this is the police force I mean, and some of the stuff, I'm, I felt like we would have to do multiple episodes on this, but we're just going to pick the most important things that you should take away from uh, the overall politics, I guess. And if you want to learn more outside of this podcast, we really, really recommend Steve Thomas's book. Um, I think that's kind of obvious by now that we recommend it, but that the, I would say that most of that book is dedicated to the internal politics that were happening oh, yes. in the police department. Certainly. Um, so starting off, there's people who are pretty much of two camps of thought. There's people who say the Ramseys did not cooperate at all. And then there's people that say the Ramseys cooperated fully and the police were, you know, short-sighted on them, didn't look outside of the family. And we kind of covered this early on and address some of those issues. But what we can say is the extent of the Ramsey's co cooperation started um, when they still thought it was a kidnapping. They did take handwriting samples from both parents. Um, they, within the few days, they collected non-testimonial evidence, which would be like hair samples, cheek swab, buccal swab, you know, stuff like that. Um, by that time, they already had a team of lawyers. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's because, you know, their friend was a lawyer and recommended they get a lawyer or something. What that doesn't matter, what matters is looking down the road, like how that completely changed the course of whether or not this case would get solved or not. Absolutely. And so to put this in perspective, as we're talking about this, is that in Surreal Weck's book, it, a standard investigation goes like this. So say that there is a murder and what the police are first supposed to do is they're supposed to collect non-testimonial evidence from the people closest to the victim. And the whole ideology is that what you do in an investigation is start with the people who are closest to the victim, clear them by doing formal interviewing, collecting as many like DNA samples and things like that. Statement, formal statements. Yeah. The key part of that. Interviewing, right. Yeah. Interviewing, the, the formal interrogating. It's like yeah. the biggest one. And then once those are clear, you go up into like the second broader circle of socialization. So mm -hmm. teachers, the uh, weird guy that lives down the street. 
right neighbors you know stuff like that and then go to like strangers and the reason for this is that instead of getting bogged down in thousands of names of every single person you've ever come to contact with you do what is kind of the most like common sense thing and start with like who had access to the victim at all right. time and it's usually parents boyfriends siblings fiance ex. husband mm -hmm. wife ex like those kind of people and so this tried to start off like that and right so it's not that they it wasn't come it was not out of the ordinary that the first people they focused on was the family once they found the child was dead when it was a kidnapping it was a different story they were super accommodating once they found the dead child in their fucking basement they were like okay so let's you know get interviewing but they they decided it would be more appropriate to give them time to grieve which is not a luxury afforded to like anyone that is not a thing yeah literally anyone and that's so immediately off the gate when police are like all right let's get the ramses in separate rooms because that's how they usually do you separate them and you do formal interviews they usually last an entire day if not two days and the purpose of that is to get as much information as possible and you know compare the testimonies from either person you know and get a, a solid foundation of like what's going on with this case because you can't solve the case without a solid foundation of understanding the family what's going on who could possibly want to hurt you you need to speak to these people otherwise you can't go anywhere with the case well and there is a misconception that because police got statements from the ramses that that means their interviews when i say formal interviews we're talking about day-long endeavors we're talking sitting down in the police station separately for hours upon hours upon hours this isn't like talking to john ramsey for an hour about like what they did the night before we're talking which, like yeah which happened day. when he was it wasn't it the next day they talked to him for an hour and he already had like two or three lawyers with him yeah although so, they were his friends slash lawyers right. But right. okay. And so the the problem with not being able to formally interview them immediately is that the appealing thing about it is you have evidence that they may not know about yet. You can talk about very specific things you find odd, like Patsy wearing the same outfit one day, you know, the same mm -hmm. the day they found John Bonet and the day before, you know, things like that. But because they didn't have this, it opened the door for just an abundance of infractions um so you mentioned like it's kind of standard to you know isolate the crime scene and like preserve the crime scene and then um collect non-testimonial evidence interview the family another thing they do even if you're not a, like direct suspect is collect your clothes so like if you're laying next like there's this one case where this woman was laying next to her husband and he shot himself in the head well they collected her clothes to make sure and it turns out he didn't shoot himself in the head she shot him in the head if they hadn't collected her clothes they might have not known that so there's a lot of reasons why it's just standard practice to collect their clothes did they collect the ramsey's clothes no well, literally, if you were anyone outside the Ramseys, you wouldn't have gotten this treatment. And people love to pretend that they got no special treatment. But tell me a single other situation where the police were like, oh, we're actually not going to start the investigation yet because the parents are grieving. Like, You're that's sad. literally what happened. They couldn't collect clothing. They couldn't do formal interviews. They couldn't get, like, um, 
full statements or any they couldn't do anything because they you know untouchable wealth so okay so going back to a bit of the timeline here is that um fleet white is going to be mentioned in this episode which really makes me excited because we haven't talked about fleet white uh in a while and for those who don't remember he was john ramsey's best friend and priscilla white his wife was patsy ramsey's best friend and when we're talking about politics, they, they come in a lot because, a bit of a spoiler alert, they end up writing this giant, like, 5,000-word Accusatory, essay. yeah. Yeah, um, about the district attorney and the handling of this case. But their, in, their involvement in the politics of this kind of started um, after John Bonet's funeral. And I'll let you take that away. Okay, so this is a quote from Jean Benet inside the Ramsey murder investigation, which is the book by Steve Thomas that we keep quoting frequently. So it starts off like this. Fleet and Priscilla White were trusted friends of the Ramseys and had been the first people Patsy Ramsey called on the day of the murder after she called the police. The Whites had rallied behind the Ramseys in that time of crisis, but as days passed, they grew troubled that John and Patsy seemed to be dodging the police and decided to talk to them about it. The Whites flew to Atlanta for the funeral with other friends and stay at the home of John's brother, Jeff. When Jeff learned of the Whites' plans, he called the home of Patsy's parents, where the clan had gathered. Emotions were running high, and the family overreacted. I was later able to piece together the story from interviews with many of those present. Some of them grew afraid, and one of Patsy's sisters thought the Whites were coming over to kill them all. The situation, no more than a possibly unpleasant conversation between two old friends, was clearly pushed into a danger zone, although there was no evidence that the Whites were even angry. Nevertheless, Patsy's father, Don Pa, loaded two pistols and tucked them beneath a couch cushion so that he could be ready to protect his family. John Ramsey called everyone down before the Whites arrived, saying that Fleet was his friend and would not harm anyone. What a weird scene. Yeah. Like, they got real defensive real quickly. So, essentially, from what I understand, Fleet White was like, oh, I'm going to go talk to my buddy and be like, get your head out of your ass. Like, go talk to police, you know? Because already, I mean, this was only a few days in, and Fleet White was like, they're not cooperating with police already. This is right around the time of the funeral. Yeah. And so he just wants to go talk to his friend, and, like, there's this chaotic scene unfolding where people are, like, in hysterics that he's going to come, like confront them like what what was the problem well yeah that's what kind of confused me about that because we always speculate that maybe fleet white knows more than he's perhaps i i have no way of knowing that but it kind of makes you wonder in that context why would they be so worried about fleet white coming over and being confrontational you know i mean to the point where uh he's even getting armed like the john ramsey's father's getting armed i mean that's really bizarre and I know, you know, maybe tensions are just running high because it's a crazy situation, but. Yeah, I mean, and it could also be some paranoia, too. Like, they had just gone through, like, this kidnapping gone this wrong ordeal. situation. But, yeah, it, it seemed troubling to me that they had such a reaction to just such a simple, like, conversation between friends. Yeah, but I mean, that- it sounded like John was not as... Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that ended their friendship. So, 
after this uh, confrontation between Fleet Wright White and John Ramsey, like they stopped being friends. And the reason that's important is because later when we're, we're getting into more of like the district attorney and the alleged leaks that were happening within the police department, Fleet White's information ended up being leaked. And in turn, um, he wrote this giant letter to the people of Boulder. So before we get to that, what did the Ramseys do after their close friends uh, implored them to cooperate with police more fully? What, do you, what would you do? Well, well what I would, would I do? Are you asking me or is that rhetorical? That's rhetorical. Um, on New Year's Eve, they did an interview on CNN. So not the police. So not the police. <laughs> Um, so the interview, I'm going to cut you off just like one second. The interview Please that do. they did was, <laughs> so on New Year's, so this is like seven days after, or five days after John Bonet's body's found, um, Stephen Thomas talks about how the police were going to show up in Atlanta to like talk to John and Patsy Ramsey and convince them to come in for formal interviews. And as they landed, they found out that John and Patsy had dodged them to appear on CNN. And that interview that they do on CNN is like so haunting. Because that's the interview where Patsy Ramsey is like, there's a killer out there. Like, hide your kids, hide your wife. And yeah, it was so odd. Oh, God, I feel so bad for her. I feel like, you know, no matter what really happened in this case, she's had such a fucking rough go at life. Like, that's not funny. She's had <laughs> such a rough. It's like, it's like worst case scenario, man. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't laughing at that. I was. I was laughing more at um, Steve Thomas's like account in in his book because he's like. Patsy Ramsey gets on CNN and is like, there's a killer on the loose. Like, hide everyone you know. And Stephen Thomas was, like, basically facepalmed. Like, he was like, oh, my God. Like, the last thing we need is for, like, the people of Boulder, Colorado to think that, the, like, all of their children are going to die now. Oh, my God. But instead of, you know, sitting with the police to make sure that the uh, killer that was loose in Boulder got caught, they decided to go on CNN and do a fucking monologue from Hamlet. So what's so interesting is the interviewer says, you know, people are saying you guys aren't cooperating with police. And they're like, we are. We're cooperating with police. They, If they want to interview us more, they can interview us more. And then, like, Steve Thomas is like, oh, okay. Okay, if we can, if you want us to interview more, like, we would like to. They never fucking get a chance. They go, like, right after that interview, and they're like, what are you doing here? Like, yeah it's like so weird because they literally just said we want to cooperate we want to be interviewed more like we're doing all we can and then the police are like oh, oh yeah they okay. said that they haven't even been asked basically yeah like they're they're just focusing on us they haven't even asked or something they're just yeah so, oh it, was, my God. it was so wild well and and then at the mean on the meantime like at the police station you know, Steve Thomas comes into this case like like a normal detective and is like, oh, we need like cell phone records and we need, well, I just, I think it's just phone records and not cell phone records, but we need phone records and we need like credit card statements. Um, so he writes up the warrant for that. And then what happens? That's some pretty basic stuff. Yeah, they you would think, right? Mm -hmm. What happened? 
the district attorney said absolutely not because the police didn't have enough of like a case yet. That's ridiculous because even knowing whether or not a ransom call was ever made to the house or know who might have been calling and hanging up if that was happening or like who might have been trying to figure out when they're home or not. You know what I'm saying? Like you never know no, what no, you could like find. Police 101. Like it yeah. is not like an unreasonable request. Like at this point, like like it, like I said before, like the police want to collect like the hair hair samples. All right, they got that. Cool. They want to do formal interviews. They can't seem to do it. But then like, then you you know you try to get evidence. So you try to get warrants for things like cell phone rec or just phone records. I don't know. I keep saying cell phone records, phone records, credit card statements, like just like simple things to kind of get like your own timeline going, and. They were told no for, like, countless, like, normal bullshit things. Like, the district attorney, Alex Hunter, was very adamant that he basically was like, don't even look into the Ramses. Like, don't worry about right. it. Right. They even hired so, an entirely different specialist to formulate a theory that didn't involve the Ramses. Now, here's a section from that same book um, by Detective Steve Thomas um, where he's presenting... Like two years later, um, on June 1st and 2nd, 1998, they're doing a presentation um, in front of the FBI, oh, I believe God. it is. And at some point, um, Detective Trujillo is actually up there talking about it. And then it says, when the audience learned that we did not have the credit card and telephone records, one of Hunter's task force of Metro DAs asked Commander Beckner why. That's some pretty basic stuff, Adams County DA Bob Grant said. Beckner, instead of laying the blame on Hunter's office where it belongs, shrugged, we just didn't, leaving listeners to believe that it was a police screw-up. Do you see what we mean by politics? He didn't want to piss off Hunter. Right. He didn't want to throw him under the bus, which that is such a, I feel like that is, I'm so bad at that. That's why I sucked working in corporate. <laughs> like I once got yelled at because of someone else's mistake and I could not let it go. And my coworkers, I wanted to correct the person, but he was my superior. And they're oh. like, no, you can't correct him. And I'm like, but he, the person who fucked up is on the email and they should be the one that he's calling out. And they're like, yep. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, exactly. And so like with Team Ramsey, mm -hmm. so the Team Ramsey that we talked about is the lawyers, the PR people, you know, the basically wall around the Ramseys were not they they were basically telling the police like you know what instead of focusing on John and Patsy here is a list of a hundred suspects like they would just keep giving them like lists of look into Santa Bill again yeah yeah they told exactly. them like three different times that they went and they harassed him so essentially the police would come to Team Ramsey and be like hey we need to do a formal interview with the Ramseys and they would say great no problem, but first, here are a hundred suspects that you have to look into first. And Steve Thomas talks about how, like, they were being, like, one of these tactics from the Ramsey lawyers was literally just giving them names of every single person they ever came in contact with so that they would have to go through this list and get, like, testimonies and get, like, DNA and, like, all this bullshit. Just all they wanted was an interview with the Ramses. Also, so the Ramses felt like they were being persecuted by the police. And they also, 
I, if you ever, you showed me the Larry King transcript that shows where they wouldn't allow the FBI to give them a polygraph because they said the FBI was biased, which is ridiculous. That is a right. ridiculous thing to say. Um, but they can say it. And some people be like, crazy dissenters are like, oh, yes, the FBI is hella biased. You know, okay, whatever. Well, so- what's funny is that when Steve Thomas was talking to Patsy, and was like, would you be willing to take a lie detector? He asked her and John, and John said, absolutely not. And Patsy was like, sure, whatever, I don't care. And Steve Thomas was like, oh my fucking God, we'll be able to give her a lie detector test. And then the police department said no. Mark Beckner, yeah. the the head of that, was like, absolutely not. You cannot give her a lie detector. Like, what? Basic police things. Basic. Right, right. So they're growing exceedingly paranoid, and... They didn't trust where the um, evidence was being tested. And basically, the Ramsey lawyers demanded to have their experts observe the testing of the DNA, which is not allowed. That is just not a thing that happens for anybody, no matter how much money you have. And so what the DA ended up doing was getting the testing done at a private lab hoping that they would be more open to the idea of letting them observe and they also said no they said what are you talking about like some felon on death row could even just want to come in here and observe like that's the odds of getting contamination and you can pretty much call anything into um scrutiny if you're just sit- sitting over someone's so- shoulder, oh, you left the PCR gel running for a full 30 seconds too long, according to our experts. I mean, like, you don't know what they're going to say. It's just completely ridiculous. That's, I mean, that that is one of the bigger things that, like, stuck with me. It's like they're so paranoid and they're trying to, like, control the outcome almost. Yeah, and Team Ramsey didn't stop there either. So when trying to get an interview with the Ramseys, the team Ramsey would often make ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous demands for it to happen. And again, mind you, for anyone out there listening who are like, the Ramseys cooperated with the police, like stop talking about this, have more empathy for the Ramseys. Here's like one thing you like need to understand. No one who is not a millionaire can be like, oh, I'm a suspect in a murder case. That's fine. But I want to see the evidence before I talk to the police. And that was a that was something that they asked for. So, like, in tr- terms of trying to negotiate an, a formal interview, a basic, basic thing that happens in every single police investigation, they asked to see the case file. Wow. First. And for those who, like, might not know, like, the reason that's, like, such a terrible idea is that you don't want people to be able to study what the police, like, know so that they can, like, already come up with their answers for questioning. And, you know, by getting a police file or anything like that completely takes away authenticity in an interview. Absolutely. And you don't give the case file to the suspects. like that's just and i don't know if how many people know this but the da's office wouldn't let the police call the ramsey suspects they were investigating them but they couldn't say they're suspects and throughout the whole time they were their main suspects so whether you think that's fair or unfair um i don't care i mean they were suspects (laughs) and they were they were never cleared 
and you and then we're gonna have to talk about the dna evidence again because i still have people messaging me about that well and so what we mean by this too is that like the d sorry sorry can i say they were never cleared because that's just flat out wrong they were like in my opinion incorrectly they, they were never cleared though they, but were, they were cleared, cleared by the dna the, the da mary lacy on her own volition exonerated them but they were never cleared formally by any kind of police department. So issuing, issuing a public apology has no bearings on, like, the legal activities. So, like, I have read several times via Steve Thomas and other investigators in the case that the Ramseys were never cleared suspects, ever. They will always remain suspects until not. And, you know, for people who think that the Ramseys are being concentrated on mo more than anyone it just feels that way because the police had to hound them every five seconds for to get anything basic things you know why they didn't hound linda hoffman Pugh, the uh, the maid because they met with her one time and she agreed for to an a formal interview she gave them hair samples writing samples notebooks um, physical evidence notebooks duct tapes and, um yeah there's a story by one of John's ex-employees and it was someone John threw under the bus to be like, I fired him. So clearly he could have done this. And like, much like everyone else, he provided like hair samples, handwriting samples, like did his formal interrogations, everything like that. And they asked him to do a lie detector test. And he was like, absolutely. But then his lawyer, I just think this is like, a really great story he, he talked to his lawyer and then he showed up at the police station and the police were like oh are you ready to do your lie detector test and he goes yep i'll do a lie detector test the second john ramsey does one because at this point he was like so fed up that he had like given everything to the police and had even agreed to do a lie detector but then the fact that like he had found out that john ramsey hasn't even been formally interviewed yet he was basically like fuck off like, yeah. I have been working with you since day one. Like, you want to do a lie detector test? Like, that's great. Get John Ramsey across from me, and we'll both do fucking lie detector tests. Well, another thing is, is there's just been so many suspects that were tremendously more cooperative. We went into detail about the McReynolds family being so much more cooperative, um, Linda Hoffman Pugh's family being so much more cooperative. Pretty much even the, the Whites were extremely cooperative. And that's why they were cleared, and that's why they stopped investigating them. Now, if the Whites were like, you can talk to our lawyers, and we've already set out PIs, and blah, 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 and, and they, you can't interview us, and you can't talk to our kids, and they're just, then they would still be investigating the Whites, rest assured. Right. But that's not the case. Yeah, and, you know, we're, this episode isn't to discuss who's guilty and who's not guilty. This is a hot-button issue for us because, one, not only was, like, team ramsey literally hindering this investigation but also like this rhetoric that the police were just hounding the ramseys like it took them almost two years to get all of the stuff from the ramseys that they got from other people within a week they still don't even get a lot of the stuff like no they um in that meeting i was talking about um they were talking about how they were denied to do the fiber testings um, on Patsy Ramsey's sweater and they were denied a warrant to even get her fucking sweater. You know, like they, they, they're Please like literally couldn't get anything. And they couldn't say anything about 
you know, they couldn't charge the Ramses because who has to prosecute the charge? Exactly. The DA. So, I'm glad we're talking about that. So this is something I kind of learned from Steve Thomas's book is that like they he felt like they had enough evidence to be since the Ramses didn't get formal and inter- weren't getting formal interviews, he wanted to basically subpoena them to a grand jury because then they would be kind of forced to cooperate with police. And the reasoning for this was because though he felt like he had enough to, um, what's the word? Not persecute. Indict. Indict, you know, Patsy Ramsey specifically. He also knew that the district attorney and the prosecuting attorney weren't about it. So who was going to do it? Like, who was going to go up to bat against them? So they were so unfamiliar with grand jury proceedings in that DA's office that they had to call in someone special to lead it. Yeah. And I remember in C. Thomas's book, at one point, the DA said, well, you know, it really comes down to if we think there's enough evidence, whether or not we'll prosecute this. And then C. Thomas goes, well, then what's the point of calling a grand jury? Because you're just going to overturn it if you don't agree with it. And he's like, yeah. And <laughs> you know, the thing that became, it became so hostile between like the police department and the DA that Steve Thomas actually brought in his like own dream team of lawyers to advocate for the police department because they were <gasps> being That's so like, sad. Yeah. Because they're being so greatly hindered by the district attorney. Like, and when we say this, this isn't even like speculation, like, like we've mentioned before with the credit card statements, the um, phone records, fiber records, like, getting clothing and interviews and stuff like the da's response to all of it would be can you just ask the ramses like just ask them if they want to they want to been asking them though they've been asking them yeah well it came to the point where you know even so steve thomas and his dream team of like lawyers came up with this idea that i think was genius like absolute genius they wanted to set a microphone like a like a a wire trap like a bug in the ramsey house um to hear conversations and they said okay we'll put this bug in the house and then we'll serve them with grand jury papers and that'll get them to like talk about the case and you know with colorado being a one-person state meaning that only one party has to agree to the recording it was completely legal like it was a completely legal thing to do it was a genius plan but of course they couldn't go through with it and alex hunter the da was like why don't you just ask the ramses if you can put a microphone in their house what <laughs> you're crazy like they the da and the politics surrounding it they were just basically saying like the ramses are not allowed to be suspects like i'm sorry like you can do everything but the Ramsey is as suspects, which I think is like very highly suspicious. Highly suspicious in the sense that it makes you wonder what the ulterior motives is. I mean, they wouldn't provide that type of protection for everybody. Highly suspicious as in I'd be very mm. curious to see the donors who donated cam- I agree. campaign money to Alex Hunter. I absolutely agree. Um, And again, not a question of guilty or innocence, but, like, I'm honestly really pissed off that this all happened. Well, for me, like, I'm going to go out on a limb here because I always felt like 
when we first started talking about this, I was like extremely intruder theory oriented. And I thought, is it possible that the Ramses are trying to stay extremely private for some other reason? Like maybe they have something that they want to keep private, whether that's, you know, shady business dealings or some type of like familial drama or inappropriate things that they don't want to get out. But I, that's kind of what I would used to speculate. I don't know what to think of it now. I just think, I mean, I'm trying to find the part of the book where they talk about how allegedly the FBI was talking about investigating Alex Hunter for obstruction of justice. And yeah, then so, the chief of police was like basically told to retire after bringing that up again. Um, so I actually had just read, read this like Excellent. two days ago. Um, this is just so sad to me. So while all of this internal conflict was happening, the the press was getting all of these leaks, like like information and evidence that the media didn't know about yet. And Steve Thomas was getting really frustrated because the more this stuff started to come out, the the harder it is to get a a good real interview with suspects because they don't know what evidence is out there. And he had suspected that Alex Hunter was leaking this information because Stephen Thomas knew a journalist, and I can't remember the name right now, but it was a journalist he kind of worked with. Like, he helped him do, like, kind of some PI stuff. And the journalist had confided in Stephen Thomas that Alex Hunter would like call him and like vent about the case and give him all these leaks. And so what Stephen Thomas did was got this guy on recording, this journalist, like got a phone conversation between the journalist and Alex Hunter recorded and he brought it to his chief whom he thought would be like, oh my God, the DA is leaking private information about this case. Like we must act now and instead was like, you cannot let anyone know that you have this and you need to get rid of it, like, right the fuck now. And then the chief ended up getting fired. He told Alex Hunter about it, too. Like, the chief yeah. did. And yeah. then they ended up pushing him out. Yeah. Like, excrement. Yeah, so... And the biggest victim of those leaks was Fleet White. So the story goes like this. Fleet White had discussed things with Alex Hunter, the district attorney, that was in no way public. He had never discussed them with other, like, investigators. It's unclear what those things are because I think for the use of privacy, um, Steve Thomas doesn't go into exactly what they are. But, like, just general things about the case that only Fleet White would know. And it got leaked to the press and Fleet White, knowing that he only talked to Alex Hunter, was livid. Like, so he was so mad and he made his, he like bitched out Alex Hunter, who then told the police to look into him Ugh. as a suspect. Which they had already cleared him. Yeah, like many times at this point. And the DA basically started a smear campaign against the Whites referring to them as like crazy and bipolar and uneven and like all this stuff. And this is what prompted Fleet White to write a 5,000 word essay to the people of Colorado. I have some snippets of that essay if we want to 
you know, Perfect. discuss that. I'm not going to read it like we did the ransom letter because surprisingly it's longer than that. <laughs> um, but Fleet White, he was pissed. And anyone who listens to this knows that Fleet White is my homeboy. Like, I love him and I wish he would come on here. We have talk. no personal relationship with Fleet White, just to clarify that. <laughs> no, I don't know him, but I, I keep trying to find him to come on here. <laughs> okay, so the first big part of it. So I'm going to just read different snippets. So it, the letter begins with... Uh, can you read it in a British accent? Oh, I, I've never tried to do a British accent, but I can try. Oh, God, I'm scared. Never mind. Just read it normal. I know. I feel like I'm going to come off <laughs> offensive and like end up doing Jamaican <laughs> an accent. You lose all of our seven British viewers. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm just going to read it like a normal person. Okay. All right. After JonBenet Ramsey was killed in Boulder nearly 20 months ago, her parents, John and Patsy Ramsey, immediately hired prominent Democrat criminal defense attorneys with the law firm of Hayden, Morgan, and Foreman. This firm and its partners have closed professional, political, and personal ties to prosecutors, the Denver and Boulder legal and judicial communities, state legislators, and high-ranking members of the Colorado government, including Governor Roy Romer. The investigation of her death has since been ca char characterized by confusion and delays. So he starts off big immediately. Mm -hmm. He later says, indeed, the district attorney and the Ramsey attorneys have simultaneously rebuked the police for focusing their inve investigation on the Ramseys when, in fact, the police were simply following evidence. So, like, immediately we have Fleet White being like, not only did they hire, like, attorneys as Team Ramsey, but they hired, like, attorneys who were very involved in the government yeah. of Boulder, Colorado. They were, like, in the inner circle of the DA. Um, so then Chief Mark Beckner released a statement uh, for Fleet White that basically just said, the Boulder Police Department recognizes the suffering the Whites have endured as a result of the accusations made against the White family during the course of the investigation. The Boulder Police Department investigators have always considered the White family to be only the witnesses in this case. So I think that that whole thing reads as tone deaf because Fleet White didn't write this giant essay to clear his name any further. He wrote it because there were like some significant issues in the judicial system that needed to be talked about and i'm not we're, again we're not going to read the letters but essentially in this letter he basically calls for a new prosecutor and a new district attorney and then he he goes to cite that alex hunter has leaked his information that the ramses are very politically in charge of this case in terms of influence and money so basically, like, John's biggest ally has turned into his biggest critic, who also could see the bullshit that was happening, like, within the police department. And Fleet White is literally just like, can everyone stop with their personal interests and just solve the murder of this little girl, please? Right, which is kind of more the response you would have expected from the parents. If the parents were seeing incompetence and downright, like, um criminal behavior they would you know say well let's get a new prosecutor in let's 
let's really investigate this case because what matters is finding out who killed John Bonet. And that's what they got from the whites, who I think are some of the like truly good people that just got like kind of swept up in a storm of bullshit. Well, yeah, and it seemed like Fleet White was just completely taken aback by yeah, absolutely how badly this was going, and how like, the and how the Ramses responded, and how the police department was unable to properly investigate anything, and it's just it's like it's really hard to convey that to people, especially like. Uh, I don't know if this happens to you, but people always want to talk to me about the Jean Benet case now because we do this podcast, and <laughs> which is like, you know, I can. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> I love it, and um, <laughs> it's really hard for me to convey to people who believe in the intruder theory how impeded this investigation was on behalf of the DA because there's an entire book you can read about it. I mean, it's just, it's so dense. Yeah, we're not even scratching the surface of this. I know, we're picking highlights and I'm like, already, like... I know. Thinking, really, yeah. this, this could be its own season altogether, easily. Absolutely, absolutely. But just, like, kind of a brief overview here is that we're four months that were completely critical to the case went without a formal interview. When the Ramses did come in for a formal interview which, of course, had their lawyers with them. It only lasted, they said, a max of two hours was all that they would give detectives. They wouldn't let the lead detective interview them, and they had studied the case file. Right. So part of the demand was, one, also to have them go on record and say that there was no prior sexual abuse of John Benet Ramsey. Which, which was wasn't true. And then the second thing was to be able to look at the case file. So the first interview that they did, formal interview, was with Lou Smith. And at this point in the investigation, Lou Smith was close friends with the Ramses. Like, he used to go over to their house and pray with them. And they would, like, send each other, you know, letters and emails. Like, so at this point, like, Lou Smith... Is um, a family friend. And he's a family friend, formally, and I say this in quotes, interviewing them. So finally, after enough pestering and enough um, When the Ramses say enough, enough, that's their safe word. <laughs> right. They actually allow Stephen Thomas to formally interview them, and it basically went nowhere. They only allowed it for like two hours. There were lawyers present. At this point, they had seen the case file. At this point, they were good friends with, you know, the district attorney and Lucemate and like pretty much everyone. So there was no way to like get any new information out of them because, and he says that everything they said was rehearsed. Everything was, I don't know, maybe, possibly, who knows? Like, I can't say, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I can't recall. Like, right. just completely rehearsed Vague. statements. Um, so, to put this in perspective, think of another murder suspect like Jody Arias. Think of Chris Watts. Can you imagine them being formally interviewed by the police and then after a few hours they say, okay, enough is enough is enough. You know, I mean, that just, that doesn't happen. These people are murder suspects in that context. I know after it's really hard months, for a lot too. of, and after four months, I know it's hard for a lot of people to like understand that context because they see the Ramseys got so horribly smeared by the media. They think, oh, well, you know, the police just, you know, 
um, tunnel visioned and la la la, but it's not that simple. They are murder suspects. They're being treated with kid gloves and that's how they were told to treat them since the beginning. And quite frankly, that is why the case was never solved. I do think it's really tragic that the family was smeared by the media. And some people might say no one deserves that. I don't agree with that. Some people do deserve that. You don't get it both ways. You don't get to lawyer up, play politics, and hide behind your lawyers and then be presumed innocent by the entire country. Oh, I absolutely agree. And uh, to add something onto that, having a PR team five days after your child is dead is probably the most disgusting part about this to me. Like, lawyer up all you want. Like, that feels like something a rich person would do. Absolutely. But the fact that they, like, cared so much to get a PR team to, like, purposely spin the media, I I don't know if the Ramseys are guilty in anything to do with the John Benet Ramsey case, but I can say that they are a thousand percent guilty for one of the reasons this case was never solved. Yeah, obstruction of justice. And I don't think that they ever wanted it solved. And one of my reasonings for this, and we mentioned it in the last episode, was that they keep, Team Ramsey kept referring to a scuff mark that was on the kitchen door as trying to convince the police that that could have been another form of entry. So this is something that Team Ramsey and the Ramseys discussed as being possible, knowing full fucking well that a month prior to John Bonet's death, the neighbor and Patsy Ramsey had a conversation about the scuff on the door. It had been there way before the death, and they had a conversation about it. So why... Why, if you're trying to solve the death, like the murder of your child, Mm -hmm. are you telling police you have no idea what that is? Yeah, you're leading them in circles for, you know, for whatever reason. Um, So so anyway, back to, um, there is one, like, little, what do you call it, anecdote that uh, Burke Ramsey sometimes brings up about how, you know, he was in the grocery store with his mom and he saw his face on, like, the National Enquirer or some, like, shit magazine um, that was theorizing that he had something to do with his sister's death, and that just, like, crushed him, and I think instead of looking at the media as responsible for that, I think the parents are responsible for that. I think the way the parents behaved was considerably inappropriate, and uh, Americans, yeah, I know they, they like to say we're stupid, but we're not that stupid. Like, we can look at a situation and say, hey, that's not normal. That's not how a grieving family should behave and i can't stand when people say there's no playbook for grieving actually (laughs) (laughs) there there are normal human responses and there are abnormal human responses and humans are very in tune to tell which is which in most cases and i would say um the only thing that they were behaving appropriately for was obstructing justice now whether that points their guilt or not is not for me to decide But it was actually for a grand jury to decide. And it wasn't based on that. It was based on a large amount of evidence. And what did the grand jury end up deciding? All right. So I'm really glad you – that was a great segue because I I was looking this up real quick. All right. So Stephen Thomas, after he formally interviewed them, was basically really fed up with how this case was being treated and finally um, got FBI to back him in doing a grand jury Um, And a grand jury essentially is just a trial, basically, that says whether or not they could actually go to trial. So they can even be charged. Right. So it's basically you bring all the evidence in front of a jury. They say whether or not they think that, like, they have a strong enough case to bring it to a trial. 
And, and grand jury proceedings are privileged. You can't talk about what was presented as evidence. You can't talk about things in the grand jury that were said or testimonies, etc. Yeah, it's extremely, like, under wraps. So, essentially, this grand jury happens. It's in 1999. And quickly after, Alex Hunter um, announces that they will not be indicting the Ramses, and it was believed from 1999 to 2008 that the grand jury had decided that, but in actuality, in 2008, um, okay, so upon 2008, when the Mary Lacey exonerated the Ramses, uh, basically people called for the sealed court documents to be released. And so upon its release, it was found out that the grand jury had voted to indict John and Patsy Ramsey for render assistance to a person with intent to hinder, delay, and prevent the discovery, detention, apprehension, prosecution, conviction, and punishment of such person for the commission of a crime. So that's number one. So it's essentially saying obstruction of justice. Um, child endangerment charges, including... Uh, child endangerment charges such as neglect, meaning that her death was a direct result of either neglect or putting her into a dangerous situation. And then the third count was of assisting into the, in the cover-up of the murder of John JonBenet Ramsey. So they were indicted on three charges that they could have been brought to trial to, and the DA just decided not to anyway. Now, what's really spooky about that is I've watched that clip many times where Alex Hunter announces that they will not be pursuing charges. The way he says it, it sounds like that was a decision the grand jury made. He's right. very careful about how he says it, and that's, you know, a very lawyer thing to do. Yeah, he didn't say, I've decided right. to, like, not Which is what case. happened. That is what happened. He, yeah, and he basically said, like, after the grand jury... Yeah. Regardless of what the grand jury is ruling, I've decided, you know, since I'm the one that has to actually right. try this case, I'm not going to do it. Now, you know, what do I have to say to that? I have to say money talks. Um, that's the only thing I will say to that, and it's going to be completely out of context. But one thing for everyone who says, well, Alex Hunter was the one who would have to try it. If he didn't feel like there was enough evidence, then there probably wasn't. I don't think you know this, but 99.3% of the cases in Boulder, Colorado were actually pled out and did not go to trial. Yeah. That is crazy. There's insane. no, that is insane. That is a really high number. So I don't know. Maybe he didn't know where the courthouse was. And he just was <laughs> like, I'll do anything to not try a case there. Honestly, like, Again, we barely scratch the surface, but essentially, like, the people who think that, you know, the police just didn't do their jobs in terms of <sighs> investigating this case, I do, I will say that, like, you can look at hundreds of suspects of this case where the police were able to get every single thing that they needed from them. It was only two suspects that they couldn't. Including people that were on Lou Smith's list that, you yeah. know, I mean including really, really weird situation people that weren't even linked to the case at all. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of times you'd be surprised how genuinely people want to cooperate when they didn't commit the crime. 
Well, and I think people kind of have a skewed understanding of what like cooperation in a police right. investigation means. Because I see a lot of people talk about the statements that they gave on December 27th as being like formal interviews. And we've stated several times that like They're a not. statement is completely different. A statement is, what did you see? What did you do right before you went to bed? Like what happened? You know, like just getting like a timeline, it's getting brief. ideas. It's a brief. Yeah. And it's short. basically yeah, it's basically small talk in the investigation world. It's not anything It's so small that they're often not recorded and they just take notes on a notepad. That's actually a really excellent point. Like yeah. kudos on that. Yeah. And so that's I think one of the biggest misconceptions of this case. And again, it falls into two camps of did the Ramseys cooperate? Did they not cooperate? I'm here to tell you, they did not fucking cooperate. I think they cooperated the bare minimum to not be um, taken to jail for obstructing justice. But I don't think that yeah. could have even really happened just based on this, like, political atmosphere they were in. I mean, so there's also, like, there's different extents to cooperate. Like, there's a point where one of the investigators in Scott Peterson's case was talking to him. And he said, hey, I want to let you know... We're going to tell the media that you're not being fully cooperative, but you're not being uncooperative, right? So he's saying, like, you're kind of cooperating, but you're not being right. cooperative to the extent that we want you to be. So, you know, I just want to give you a heads up in case you're going to be listening to right. the news later. So, yeah, hint, 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 yeah. dude. <laughs> yeah, if you want to fucking jump, you know, jump. But well, And, you know, the Ramseys just really love to victimize themselves when it comes to, like... <clears throat> the police investigation <clears throat> like you can victimize yourselves in the fact that you lost your daughter like that's terrible and that's sad and it's so tragic but don't but they're not you know they're not they're not victims like, of the police though right they're not victims I mean, they a day, seem go ahead i'm sorry i was gonna say especially in a day and age where it's like so much more transparent and there are victims of the police you know so yeah, it's just like yeah. it's really like um disingenuine well, right, and I, Is I just that a word? can't stand. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Um, I I just can't stand this like boohoo. The police like wanted to talk to us, like literally just like traumatizing one hundred and one. Like yeah, they say Gen Z is snowflakes. Right. <laughs> well, Fucking and boomers. They're like the police want to have a formal interview. Can you believe this? Like literally, and I just want like everyone to walk away with this being like, if you are listening to this podcast right now. And prior to listening, you were like, oh, they did 100% cooperate with police because I just believe that they did. Send us a Thus death threat. <laughs> what is with you and the death threats? No one has ever sent you a death threat besides for me. Anyways, if, you're, if you have that mentality, I ask you this. Why did John's best friend in the planet, Fleet White, not only risk his friendship with John, but also risk his reputation on the sole fact that he was upset that the Ramses were not cooperating with police. Like, if you don't want to believe Steve Thomas because you're in the Lou Smith corner, so you're like, <coughs> I find that Lou Smith people tend to hate Steve Thomas. So, like, fine, don't listen to Steve Thomas or all the other investigators in the case. But look at Fleet White. Homeboy wrote a 5,000-word essay about how the Ramses didn't cooperate with police and you want to sit there and act like they did because they said hi to Steve Thomas walking past him in the hallway once. Like, come on. Can you think of an essay that long that you've ever written off the top of your head? 5,000 words, yeah. 
What do you write on? Well, I wrote it on the political standpoint of apartheid in Africa and how it shaped the 1990s revolution. <gasps> yes, we've talked about this before because one of my former bosses lived through that and he's Indian. Oh, my yeah. God. But again, that's, I mean, 5,000 words is like roughly like 15 pages. Oh, I wrote um, an essay on how Chopin's mazurkas were not really evidence of how polish he was because he wasn't really that polish oh okay <laughs> and i had to use like a bunch of music examples and stuff so it was probably a little shorter than five thousand. okay it was so five thousand words single spaced is 10 pages and double spaced is 20 pages oh wow mine was more like 15 yeah see like this was really long oh my gosh yeah so this wasn't like he sat down and wrote like a ransom a note length like a ransom note. like so jesus christ read that then like i don't know where people get this information that the ramses like cooperated with the police i have yet to see a single well they say it. it they say it like they said it at the cnn interview they say it um is that the, the only source? Is well, these these murder suspects said that they cooperated with the police, so they cooperated. With you them. can't call them murder suspects. They are murder suspects. You can't watch your fucking mouth. You can't call them that. They okay. They were murder. I'm suspects. just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But because you can't call them murder suspects, according to the DA's office. Apparently, while well, fuck you, Alex Hunter. I'm going to anyways. And Rest again, in peace, not that Alex Hunter is he dead? I'm pretty sure. And who have I been sending all my hate mail to? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yeah, Alex Hunter Boulder obituary. Let's see. And again, again, I'm not saying I'm not passionately angry about this because I think you know the Ramseys for sure killed John Bonet. I think they killed this investigation, and they should. Maybe oh, they called him up and. Sorry, they. I remember they called him up in that CBS documentary, in like that was like twenty sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. So they called him up, and he was alive, so he's probably still alive. Yeah. Anyways, again, not trying to incriminate the Ramses in terms of like whether or not they killed their daughter. I do think that they are one of the various reasons that this case was never solved, and I think they did a great injustice. Right, and even more so tragically if they had nothing to do with their daughter's death. That's even more so tragic to know that you could be the impeding factor to resolving the most horrible thing to happen to you. Which, I mean, I, can't, I don't even know if I can say that because Patsy Ramsey's life was just, like, fucking rough. So was John, though. He lost his other daughter. Beth. Yeah, right, a few years before um. If they had nothing to do with this case, or like nothing to do with the murder of John Benet Ramsey, then they basically halted an investigation simply over pride. Like they just thought they were and above the law and thought that there was no conceivable reason to well, they ever were. talk to them. They well, were. Yeah, they are rich. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is the what's the word? Fundamental reason, in my opinion. Oh, a thousand percent. This, this entire country is run. Person. Oh my god. Oh my god. No. No. <laughs> Poor people don't get time to grieve. Poor people no! don't get to keep their clothes when it's evidence. No, absolutely not. That I don't really even... And I'm a true crime buff, and I don't really know of any other true crime story where 
they couldn't proceed with the investigation because people had to grieve. That's just not what the that's not what the police's job is. They're not there to be grief counselors. Like it sucks and like you know, it's terrible if someone you love gets murdered, but you have to go down to the police station. Like this isn't like, oh, I don't feel like going grocery shopping because I'm sad. No, the, you have to go to the police station. Like, you know? Yeah, that's really odd. I don't know. Sometimes if people are like in a state of like hysteria, they'll like give them like a like an hour or so to like get their fucking self together. Yeah, I would think so. But... I would even give them the next morning, like come mm-hmm. in. I wouldn't come in at eight o'clock in the morning, and because and because they're gonna be there all day. Like you're gonna want. I mean, you want them to sleep and stuff. What is it? Uh, you better rest up because you're gonna have a long journey or some shit that was in the I advise you be rested I advise you be rested that's what Stephen Thomas should have said to them you should have been like (gasps) no (laughs) they would fucking flip out yeah I'll see you at eight in the morning I advise you be rested for your what did you think of those victim advocates cleaning crew shirts I made okay everyone I want to stop talking about the politics and start talking about our shirts now So I feel Lizzie, like it's gonna. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was gonna say I feel like the politics will come up more in the concluding episode as well. But back to yeah. t-shirts, which we we seem to care a lot more about in this episode <laughs> than the politics for some reason. <clears throat> it, they're my emotional support t-shirts because I need, you know, the politics is is really heavy and hard for <sighs> me to talk about. So it brings me great joy to talk about our t-shirts. So Lindsay did get, did the honor of designing the t-shirts and buying a bunch of them for us and everything and she came up with this t-shirt that said and you know me i like loved it um victim advocates cleaning service and it says <laughs> cleaning crime scenes since 1996 <laughs> and anyone who listened to the first episode knows how passionately i feel about the victim advocate so i want about like seven versions of that shirt in different colors yeah i'm still working on it i wanted it to be like some really tacky neon color like like you're in summer camp or something you know what i'm talking Amazing. about like Even i want better. it to be like neon yellow or something horrific like that or but well, well, I, I don't know we could just do white obsessed with it so quick reminder if you message us with your suggestion for season two please message us over facebook or, or instagram someone did post on our like the pot, apple podcast like commented on it with their suggestion which is great you can't win a t-shirt that way because i have no way of tracking you down um so please message us on facebook or instagram and give us your suggestion we'll put your name in a hat and then we will pull the names in a hat on facebook we should also probably toast in that episode because we are like above three thousand listeners wow which is incredible it's not so, just our families anymore i know and that's like that's really hard for me to grasp because i feel like we do this podcast and my fiance listens and like maybe like a few of our friends listen and i feel like that's who we're mostly talking to but it is a lot of right. responsibility to realize we're talking like shit in front of like strangers and <laughs> you know my future employers and <laughs> right i mean people seem to enjoy it and you know i can't speak for everyone but uh, my best friend in the world callie my best friend callie uh loves our podcast and i'm obsessed with her and i'm obsessed with everything she thinks about so she accounts cool. for 20 2900 of the listens 
Yeah, yeah. But it's so that's what how many people like devices or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's crazy because yeah, I remember when we made like a hundred, I was like geeked. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, I this has been a really good experience for us. And oh, you know what? So aside from the t-shirt giveaway, we have kind of a unique episode that we want to do um, for next time. I'm not sure it'll fall within a week. It might be a couple weeks before it's out. But we want to do a panel episode. We're essentially going to have a panel debate style setting where we can discuss um, the theories around the case. If you feel like you have a really good understanding of um, one of the theories, especially the intruder theory or the theory involving John Ramsey, then um, contact us if you'd be interested in representing that theory on the panel. We we definitely have like a fair share of uh, Patsy's and Burke's. And so, you know, it's just we want to kind of open the floor and hear what other people think because we kind of refuse to say what we think. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, someone had recently commented on the podcast that they want to hear what we think. And there is, you know, there's reasons we're not talking about what we think happened. One of them being, I'm not quite sure. I don't feel passionately about any of the theories to really like put myself behind it. And we don't want to deliver this in a biased setting. Um, Absolutely. If, although I do think some listeners probably still would consider us pretty biased. I, the only thing I would say I'm significantly biased in would be the politics aspect of it. Now, yes. when it comes to who did it, I, I'm i really up in the air. It depends on the week, what I'm leaning towards. I cycle between, like, several theories, yeah, several See, suspects. If I'm going to put myself behind, like, a very specific theory, I wanted to cover all of the evidence it, that and presented. None of them do. And none, none of them do. But that we want to have you guys on. Like, so come on to our podcast. We'll shoot questions off, and people can answer them. I want to hear all different theories and ideas and things that you've heard or read about debunk your theories <laughs> yeah actually we're gonna we're gonna have you guys come on and be like wrong no <laughs> <laughs> well there, i think what would be cool though is it's there's a lot of common mistakes that are made in each of those theories and it's gonna be easier to point them out when someone pitches their theory and you say well actually yeah so yeah the pineapple Right, right. <laughs> That's going to be the catchphrase for that whole episode. Uh, uh, really? uh, what about the pineapple? Is that a um, new t-shirt idea I hear? Ooh. I would really pine after that idea. Why, why are you doing this? P- pine? Like it, pine? You're hurting me with, <laughs> with the, the pun. Apple of my eye. <laughs> I'm okay, so you get it, pine. I hear you listening to this in the future and being the only listener that laughs at that joke. No, it was hilarious. Okay, you can cut that one. No, I'm no, (laughs) you don't tell me what to do. Oh, really? Any so, anyways, we're giving away t shirts and we want you guys to come on the podcast. That's basically the roundup there. Come all over the podcast. Thank you for listening. Become obsessed with us, and I think Lindsay will sing us off. You better ask my lawyer about that. Don't interview me. Talk to my lawyer. (laughs) That was amazing. That might be one of my favorite ones. (laughs) All right, everyone. 
Thank you for listening. Goodbye.